Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the December 2016 Mark Leverage podcast. Great to have you along, as always. I was actually um, just realising that this is the 48th podcast that I've made. I started in January 2013, and so this podcast completes exactly four years. And uh, I remember when I was first considering doing a podcast, uh, first of all, I had to make a decision. Was I able to do it? Did I want to do it? Was there any point in doing it? Would I enjoy doing it? Um, And the answer to all those things was, well, yes, I think I would enjoy it. And I think I could definitely do it. And I hope that people would find it interesting, would want to listen to it. And unfortunately, so it has proved. But there were a number of little decisions that I needed to make initially, of course. How long was it going to be? Well, I decided on half an hour. I thought, well, half an hour, people are busy. Are they going to sit down for longer than half an hour? Possibly not. Whereas half an hour, yes, they just might. Oh, I've got half an hour, I have a cup of tea. I'll sit down and listen to Mark's podcast. So I thought half an hour was like an optimum time. And then I had to decide what the format was going to be. And I decided that it would be... um, a good idea to have lots of different things that I simply chat about, different topics um, to do with magic that I thought that people might uh, relate to or find interesting, maybe some bits of advice or opinion. And so that's the sort of the melange of things that that I've been following ever since. And if you're one of the people who's listened to these podcasts on a regular basis, and if there's something that you would quite like me to include, then do feel free to contact me and just say, hey, Mark, could you possibly do or include this in a future podcast? And I'll see what I can do. Uh, it's always nice to think that people out there may have an idea about something that they'd like me to, to, to take on board. And so let me know and I'll see what I can do to, uh, to satisfy anything that you might want. But of course, because there have been 48 and there are half an hour each, it means that if you decided one day that you wanted to listen to all of them, back to back, from start to finish, it would take you exactly 24 hours. Yeah, okay, you've all got a life. You really don't want to be doing that, do you? And I can't say I blame you. But it's a funny thought that it would take you exactly one day to listen to all of them, because there's 48 half an hour each, 24 hours. Hey, marvellous, isn't it? Still, so here we go then. This is the 48th podcast. Now, what are we going to talk about this time? Well, I suppose it would make sense, since it's December, to talk about the fact that December is, for a lot of people, the busiest time of year for shows, uh, and what that actually means in practical terms. I don't know about you, but as the year goes on, and as I'm gradually, my December starts to fill up with bookings, I get into this thing of saying to myself, I wonder whether it's going to be a good year or a bad year. And in some ways, it's down to the number of shows, actually, that I do, I suppose, but also the amount of money that those generate as to whether I feel it's been better than last year, not as good as last year or about the same. And um, one of the things that it's kind of fun to do is to sort of piecing it all together, where if I do that show, I can make I have got actually got time on the same day to make it to do that other show over here. Uh, And it all becomes slight. I become anyway, slightly obsessive about, well, how many can I fit in and will it all work? Well, of course, the reality is that when you get to December and you start to have to actually physically go out and do the shows, that's the the acid test as to whether you've done a good job in terms of booking them in or not. I can remember when I used to do a lot of kids shows in December. I don't do that so much now, so that's great. But in the old days when I used to do a lot, 
time was of the absolute essence because a lot of people wanted you and trying to fit shows in and leave enough gaps to get from one venue to another particularly with Christmas traffic and perhaps bad weather and things like that you did sometimes take a bit of a risk and there were a few occasions where you where I know I came a bit of a cropper because I couldn't just simply physically couldn't get from one place to the other or one party Christmas party finished slightly late and then I had didn't that didn't leave me enough time or it's not as much time as I thought I was going to have to get to the second one and so on anyone who's done multiple bookings will will know that that's how that situation can arise but there are other things that make December fairly unique I think as well because um, normally we don't tend to do let's say over a two or three week period so many shows one after the other I mean yes there are some of you guys out there you have residences and and you work hard and you work a lot of nights and so on and so forth but i think for most of us who don't have residences and relying on one-off bookings you you wouldn't normally expect in a very short period of time to be out say every day or nearly every day or sometimes twice a day and what this means is that all sorts of things start to come under pressure don't they your car comes under pressure suddenly you're you're flying from one place to the next often as i say in bad weather because it's december and you're putting a strain on it and if it's not absolutely up together then if ever there's going to be a time for your car to go wrong it's going to be in december isn't it then there's also the wear and tear not just on your car but on your props suddenly props that you would normally perhaps only use once every two or three months suddenly you might be using the same prop 10 times in a week Um, close-up stuff doesn't matter so much but with kids props made of wood and things hinges taped edges um, all these things suddenly come under extra pressure and can suddenly fall apart if they're not absolutely up together Uh, and that's why i think some performers actually go to the trouble of buying if they've got a trick they use a lot of buying two of it so that if one does suddenly break they have an immediate replacement but I should think that's most people don't do that. But it's certainly a very good idea if you have props that you intend to use a lot. So that you've got the wear and tear on your car. You've got the wear and tear on your props. You've got the wear and tear on you, of course, as an individual. Because if you think about it, especially if you do children's work and you do adult work, um, December is one of the few times of the year when you could be out doing a dinner and getting home very late, perhaps one in the morning, and then nine o'clock the next day, you're supposed to be at some preschool, life and soul of the party, doing a children's show. And that puts tremendous strain on you physically because you're tired. You get tired very quickly because, you're again, you're not used to doing so many shows in such a short space of time. The other thing is that because you're doing a lot of travelling, you're probably working over meal times particularly if you are doing kids shows then it could well be that you have to travel over lunchtime in order to get for an early afternoon show if you're doing adult stuff and it's in the evening you may be traveling over sort of tea time in order to get there for an early evening start so quite often we end up for again two or three weeks eating endless amounts of motorway sandwiches and drinking costa coffee which you bought at some extortionate rate in the same place so uh, these things your diet goes out of the window you don't eat properly so you're possibly not sleeping that well 
you're, you're not eating and probably drinking properly either. And then on top of everything else, you, you have the adrenaline highs and lows. Performing tends to create a huge rush of adrenaline. And, uh, and it's that that often gets us through the show. It's the excitement of the performance. Of course, when you, you do that, when you stop, you come down the other side. And a lot of performers say that if they work late at night, they find it very difficult to, to get to sleep when they first get home. They, they need to unwind because the adrenaline is still pumping. They're still a bit hyper from performing. And so they need to, to wait for the whole thing to, di- to die down. But of course, this constant high, high adrenaline low, high, low, high, low, can play havoc with your, with your body as well. And... Um, you find yourself sometimes you end up with a headache or something because of this constant ups and downs. So, and I think all these things, when you're booking in all the shows in December, you don't tend to think about it. It's not until you actually start to do them and you think, oh God, I'm knackered or I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten all day and I'm feeling a bit, a bit faint. There can be all sorts of things that um, cause extra pressure. And on top of everything else, of course, you, you've got to be everywhere you go. You are the performer. You've got to be up for it. You've got to be on top of your game uh, and dealing with, if it's children's shows, dealing with excited kids. If it's adults, you're dealing with drunk adults. There's an awful lot that December throws up, which, although it may happen at other times of the year, it's just the frequency that it happens in December that makes that particular month, this particular month, virtually unique. So if you're going to do, be doing a lot of shows this this month, uh, I wish you all the very best of luck with it. And I hope that you can cope with all the, all the various things I've just mentioned that the month will throw at you. Have you ever used PR to promote yourself? I asked that because um, earlier this year I had um, a PR campaign running for a, for something very specific that I was doing in terms of performance locally. And I decided to go down the PR route because I realised that the problem with trying to get the message out, especially as it was in this case, it was something slightly unusual. And trying to get the message out to the general public about what I was going to be doing through normal channels of advertising, whether it be local radio, local magazines, newspapers, and so on, or even um, letterbox drops, all these things are extremely costly, very time-intensive, and they're a little bit scattergun. Um, They're good in the sense that if you're doing a local magazine and it's only being distributed in a local area, then you know that the people who are going to be hopefully reading it and seeing your advert, at least they will be within hitting distance of you. But in other ways, of course, there's there's nothing, there's no real um, demographic often um, that will guarantee that the right people are seeing it. So um, I thought to myself, well, okay. so if I'm not going to do it like that, what about PR? Now, there are two different types of PR in a way. There's free PR and there's PR that you pay for. Now, free PR, PR, in case you're wondering what I mean by that, um, PR is when instead of paying to have an advert, say, in a magazine, you send into the magazine um, a story, uh, hopefully of some sort of interest that will be of interest to their readers, obviously, but which features you in some way. And that instead of having to therefore pay for space you get a lot more space in in the magazine because it's like a feature article and although it's not a direct sell piece it does spread the word and i thought 
for the, in the case of what I was trying to do, where I was trying to launch something um, that was a little bit different, then I needed to be able to explain more what it was and why people should pay attention to it. And it seemed to me that PR, where you do it through through this means of, of getting a, a, a feature article rather than just paying for a small advert, would be the way to go. So you can either do it yourself. So you can, you can do some, get some pictures together, you can get some copy together, and you can try sending it to, to local editors. And, and you might be lucky. Uh, and that's quite labour intensive, um, if only trying to find out who are the right people to send it to. But also um, there are other elements too, which you don't, because you don't actually know the editors that you're sending it to and they don't know you, when they receive your piece, you're just one of many that they may receive and they may not give it the attention that you would hope that they might. So that's sort of like free PR where you're doing it yourself. Then you can get a PR company to promote you through the same means but using the contacts that they have with the local media and that's what I did and I paid to to have this company promote me um, and promote my idea and they did it through um, local magazines local newspaper local television um, local radio and and also um, on various website listings event listings uh, and also social media blogs and things like that so it was quite a broad remit and um, and I think for the amount of money that I spent I actually got pretty good value of course as with 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 any type of advertising you you don't always know whether it was it really produced the end result that you wanted I, I took the view that although I was promoting this particular event, I was at the same time also promoting myself generally. I thought, well, it's a win-win situation because even if people can't come to the event that I'm, that I'm talking about, they may nevertheless see my face in several places. And then when my other sort of lower key advertising is out there, then they see me. Oh, I remember that guy. I saw an article about him. So it all helps to build awareness. So in that sense, it's never a waste of time. But what was great about it was the fact that this um, PR company had contacts in things like television and radio and the local press, contacts who they used regularly for their clients. And was able, And so when they sent something in, it got noticed. It went to the top of the pile because they're always sending stuff and the editors love people who are constantly providing them with interesting content. And so when this company sent stuff, it got noticed. If I had sent it to the same people, it probably would have got thrown in the, in the waste bin. Anyway, I'd, I'd love to know, hear from anybody who's had um, either big or even little success with PR and what you think of it as a means of getting the message out there and whether you think it's worth paying for it or whether you think, actually, well, no, you should do it all yourself. One of the benefits of being a member of my online club and information resource eClub Pro is that in the middle of the month you receive um, a link to a video presentation online called Mark's Monthly Message. And basically what this is, it's um, a video file in which I talk about a specific magic related topic each month. And I've covered a huge range of, of different themes and ideas in which I give opinion and advice. And hopefully the information contained to them is of, of use to anybody who's interested in improving their magic. Back in August, I decided that it might be interesting to release some of these video files as 
audio files. In other words, take the soundtrack and make that soundtrack available to people who weren't members of eClub Pro. And so in August I released a batch of six, and then in September a further six. And there are currently, therefore, 12 of these audio files, which you can either purchase individually at £4 each, or in two compilations at £15 per compilation of six. Now, I thought it might be interesting for you in this particular podcast if I inserted one of those audio files for you to hear, so you can you can hear what they're like. And so I've chosen one called Deciding How Long to Perform For, and I hope you find what's coming up of interest. Well, hello and welcome to Mark's Monthly Message. You know, over the years, I've been asked two particular questions by close-up magicians more times than all the rest put together. The first question I get asked a lot is, um, how do you approach your table? And the second question, and the one I want to talk about today, is how do you know how long to stay with a group or at a table? You know, it's one thing to to have a a system to effectively approach a table, but once you actually get there, deciding how long you're going to perform for that group does actually take a little bit of thinking about. Um, There are two basic ways that you can make a decision. The first way is down to simple timing. If you're at a large dinner function, you've got a lot of tables to get round, and only a certain amount of time in which to do it all, then simple maths will tell you that I can only stay perhaps five minutes at the most at any one table, because to stay any longer will mean you simply haven't got enough time to get round everybody. So in that sense, it's relatively straightforward because you just do a calculation. You have to make allowances, of course, for the fact that you can't always perform all of the time, depending on at a dinner function, at what stage tables are ready to receive you when they're not eating. But nevertheless, it will give you a rough idea. But there are other occasions, say like in a restaurant, for instance, where perhaps um, there's not a lot of pressure on your time, um, because people are all starting and finishing their meals at different stages, unlike a dinner function where everybody basically eats at the same time. So there may well be tables where you could, if you wanted to, stay 10 or 15 minutes. But should you? Well, the way that you decide, or the way certainly that I over years have decided, is is to, uh, I always want to, leave my table wanting more. The the old axiom about leave them wanting more. And I always try to do that. But judging when that moment is, if you have relatively limitless time to to potentially spend with them, is an art in itself. You see, a lot of magicians, they don't, I don't think they look at their audience enough and are sensitive enough to the mood of the people around a table. Um, there, There are telltale signs. If you're doing really well, people are laughing, they're engaging with you, making comments and are looking very closely at what you're doing and are clearly thoroughly enjoying themselves, then naturally enough the temptation is to keep on going. All the time that you're, you're there and they seem to be enjoying themselves, it seems like a good idea. And at times this can be fine. But there are other times when you go to a table, you do say one routine lasting four or five minutes, And at the end of that routine, someone will say, well, that's great, thanks ever so much. And then they'll turn away from you. It's almost like they're kind of dismissing you. That was very nice, enjoyed that, don't want any more now. Now, sometimes if that happens to me and I feel that the group as a a general group, other than that just individual who's just made that comment, if everybody else appears keen to see some more, 
I said, well, actually, I'm going to do another quick one for you, if you don't mind. And I may do another quick trick at that point. But there are times when it's clear that everybody has actually had enough. So to therefore stay on and do um, a longer uh, set, if you like, could be a mistake. Because now they've kind of mentally switched off from you. Oh, no, he's doing more, is he? Oh, right, well, I suppose we can watch then. Now there's a slightly different attitude. And it's harder, I think, for you to make a success when you stay under stay on under those circumstances. There are little telltale signs also um, that you can see if people are getting restless. If instead of looking at you they start to look down or they start to get distracted by things by looking around the room. Some people even just get out their phone and start fiddling with it. Sure signs that you're starting to lose the group. Under those circumstances I would certainly look to be removing myself at the earliest opportunity. Because for most people, um, one, two tricks is probably enough. And this is something I can never quite understand about um, people who have um, a set show that they do at each group or each table. Let's say you have a set show, it lasts, for example, eight minutes comprising of three tricks. And your, your decision is you will always do those three tricks for every group. Well, for some groups it won't be enough, but for the majority, it probably will be too much. Eight minutes is a long time. And it could well be, under a lot of circumstances, when there's a lot of things going on, that it's too long. So every time you do that, you're, you're st overstaying your welcome, and thereby reducing the overall impact, perhaps, that you're having with that particular group. So my general advice about how long do you stay is, well, it's, to a certain extent, it's how long is a piece of string, is the kind of the answer. But I think the real clue is, don't do what so many, many magicians do and plough on regardless. But try to be sensitive to the group. Look around. Try to judge where their levels of interest are. Have they peaked and are they starting to come down the other side? Or actually, are they really keen to see? But sometimes people say to you, oh, what else have you got? And they are clearly uh, you know, engaged with you and want to see you do some more. Well, obviously, then you can feel free to stay. But um, many other occasions, that's not going to happen. And so you need to, I think, to be a bit sensitive about how long you remain with that group if you want to leave them at the end wanting more and uh, excited by what you did. So something for you to think about, keep an eye on your audience, try to be sensitive to their needs and that way you'll make the best impact. And that's Mark's monthly message for this time. Well, I hope you found that interesting. Um, they're all like that, sort of that kind of level of detail and on lots of different topics. And that was number eight in the uh, audio file series. And if you go to my website and look under audio files on the online shop, you'll see what all the rest of the titles are. My daughter Chrissy and I, we like to go to various events together. It may be plays, it may be musicals in the West End, uh, or it may be sometimes concerts. And a couple of weeks ago, we went together to listen to a band called The Shires, who are basically country music band. And um, they were playing in Basingstoke. And it was very interesting, as a performer, watching the way these people handled, or this group, handled their particular fan base and handled their performance. Because it was clear from what they were saying that they, they are not super big yet, but they're heading in the right direction. 
And at the moment, they're they're doing venues such as the one in Basingstoke, which I guess six or seven hundred seater, so not massive. But they clearly thought it was very big. And at one point, they happened to mention when talking to the audience that um, this sort of venue was huge for them because not that long ago, it seemed, they were working in pubs for three people and a dog and nobody was listening to them anyway. And it was very nice, actually, to, to see the excitement that they clearly felt as they were about to go off and record some stuff in nashville in america uh, and they could see that their their whole star was in is in the ascendance which was wonderful and i think what it proved to me and uh, not that it really needs proving in a way it's obvious when you think about it but all of us if we aspire to be big or great at some point we all have to start somewhere and that that path those people who are really driven to be hugely successful that path to the success is not necessarily ever going to be quick the the old thing about it it took took him years to become an overnight success is very very true i think i mean you see that with dynamo dynamo is now world famous he's he's tremendously successful and yet prior to that for years he hadn't been He'd been trying to get himself in with the right people, didn't really have an identity, didn't get a break, but he kept on and on and on trying until eventually he got his break on TV and the rest is history, as they say. And then since then, his path has been to success has been meteoric. And for some people, he's arrived completely out of the blue. But I remember seeing Dynamo at an IBM convention, a British ring convention, when he was a teenager uh, just wandering around fiddling with a pack of cards not looking anybody in the eye and basically not being the big i am or anything he was just a young lad interested in magic um, very self-effacing and you would never have guessed seeing him as a teenager there that one day he would become as famous and as uh, generally well thought of as he is so this idea and with the shires it felt the same that we were catching them just before they they, they really took off big time and uh, it was fascinating to, to to feel the excitement that they felt and to realise that we all start small and in order to get big, you really do have to work extremely hard at it in order to become the success that one day you, you think that you probably deserve. What do you reckon's the ideal time to arrive at a show? Because I think you can arrive too early as well as obviously you can arrive too late. I suppose it depends partly on what the show is, whether it's a children's show where you have a lot of stuff or a cabaret show or a stage show where you have a lot of things to set up, or whether you're the strolling magician who walks in basically with everything in their pockets ready to start straight away. But it often frustrates me with agents, for instance, who insist that all acts arrive no later than an hour before the start time, which for... The strolling magician is a total nonsense because we then sit around with literally nothing to do for an hour or longer sometimes if it's if it's um, if you're required to be there even earlier with nothing to set up it doesn't make any sense and although yes of course you want to give yourself some some leeway and arrive early or at least earlier than your actual start time in order to make sure if there are any delays that you don't actually end up arriving late to have to be there an hour just because the contract says that for everybody really doesn't make any sense. 
I know that for for me, I've always worked on if it's if it's a show, whether it's a children's show, because my kids' show sets up fast. If it's a children's show or it's an adult show, a close up, I usually work on fifteen minutes before the start time. is is the time that I tell myself I absolutely have to be there by. It's it's like playing a mental game with myself in a way. In order to make sure I'm there for the start time, I tell myself that if it starts at eight, actually the show starts a quarter to eight. And so therefore I I give myself this 15 minute window of opportunity to be late or if I can't find the venue or if something there's extra traffic or whatever. And in my area, I don't work in London, of course, where delays are or a really big city where delays are terrible. So I can get away with this. Um, but there are certain shows, for instance, shows in in big venues, say military bases, for instance, where it takes a long time actually to get in. Because when you go to a military base, of course, you have to sign in and you have to give ID and fill out forms and, and various other things. And that can take 15 or 20 minutes sometimes, especially if you're not the first one in the queue. And so on those occasions, of course, you have to leave extra time. Or if you go to a, um, a big site, like if you were working close up, but actually it's at an outdoor event that's huge, or it's at a trade show with the, uh, the NEC, which again is massive, you need to leave yourself extra time. But I usually reckon that 15 minutes for me is about right. It's not so early that I don't know what to do with myself and that I'm, I feel in the way of the people who do need to get stuff ready. And at the same time, it's not so late that if I'm delayed, then I end up being literally late. So how, how long a gap do you leave? What time do you get to shows? And is it always enough? Right, well, there's an, another podcast done, the 48th one, Done and Dusted. Thank you so much for listening. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I hope you have, if you're doing shows, that you have a great success with them. And I will look forward to seeing you again, hopefully back here for the next podcast in January. <laughs>